Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Except for Sean's you're... videos frozen, so I'm not sure oh, if he am, am or I? Not. You I are, clapped. you're not now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I clapped. I think your fancy filtering might have taken it out, Amos. I didn't hear it at all. You didn't oh, this is not supposed to, Oh, you don't won't hear it because I have you okay. filtered, but the oh, okay. but the uh yeah, so so for all the all the people out there um, listening, I use a program called Crisp K R S P, and I always talk about how amazing it is. But uh, I can sit and play ukulele while having a conversation with somebody, and they can't really hear the ukulele. Hardly, <laughs> like every once in a while, they'll tell me they get a little bit of a sound out of it, but not much. It's kind of disconcerting. Um, it is. It's really wild. Like my wife's over here, like shuffling papers right now in the background so that's probably going to be on the podcast but not you guys can't hear it so that's perfect (laughs) oh so we're talking about kansas city and all the weird towns and little things happening or like within this confines of kansas city there's also a bunch of small towns Things you learn working for a, a mapping company. We, we've got this tool called the Clip Tool, where you like you hover over a thing in the in the mapping app, and you click on Kansas City, and you're like, "Why are there all these holes?" And yeah, there's apparently a lot yeah. of history there. <laughs> so, so that person speaking. Well, Sean's here. Sean, hello, hello, <laughs> and we also the other person speaking that is a good friend of the show, and also fellow member of the Kansas City greater metro area. <laughs> I think that's what they call it. I don't know. Uh, Tyler, Tyler, you want to introduce yourself, tell people about where you work and sure, all, yeah. all that um, good so stuff? My name's Tyler Young. Um, I work for a company called Felt. We make this mapping application that's been described as like the Figma for maps. Um, so we have like real-time collaboration um, you can draw on a map, you can add routes and stuff, you can add images, uh, YouTube videos, whatever. And then we also have like really powerful like data processing stuff. So if you've got um, like fancy GIS software, you can you can embed that on the map. My specialty is like the back end. Um, so we have an Elixir back end that talks to a React front end over Phoenix channels. Um, and that's really cool. We actually just deployed some live view too, which was um, uh, a bit of a learning curve, but um, a, a cool experience. <laughs> I'd like to hear more about that too. Like, what's the what do you see as the the differences there, the advantages, the disadvantages of of both of those? Because I've seen some push to use one or the other, and I've also seen some push to use both. Like Steve Bussey wrote an article about how to put React components into your Live View, and that was pretty interesting to me. My That's actually where we ended up. up last name on the board over here. So I think she heard our <laughs> intro and wants <laughs> Sean and I to say our last names. So is you mentioned you're you're actually putting that in your live view. Is it is it like uh kind of pretending to do React server side rendering and then it rehydrating when when the page loads? A little bit. So the place where we put live view in is in like we call it the app home. Like it's like a dashboard view of all your maps. And so you might have like in, in for the case of some Power users, they've got 1,500 maps. Um, and that was taking forever um, in Live View to render because it's actually like in MorphDOM. Like you would just see the CPU get pegged, uh, like decoding or, or, you know, whatever it is, the, the Live View data structures. If you just sent the, the page, you know, fully, fully formed, um, when you initialize the Live View 
page, sorry, before the, the socket, if you send it in the HTML, it was super fast. Like it was not a problem. It was right. like, you know, 200 milliseconds to, to load. Uh, but then you'd see a flash as, as live view, uh, starts processing the morph dumb stuff after the channel is initialized. And it's like thinking, 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 and like 15 seconds later, you'd get, you get the thing rendered. Uh, oh, and rough. so we, we, we pulled that out and did it in react. And so now you get like, um, it's called like a skeleton, I think. You know, you get mm-hmm. like the preview of like, this is what we might load some content in for you. And we do that WebSock request and then build it up in React. Um, so we've got like, it's like kind of a live view shell and then a couple components we've we've uh, pulled into React land. Was that hard, hard to pull in like a, a single React component? Like, oh my God. I've, I've, I've played with like a whole <laughs> React app. Like I didn't start it and I went in and yeah. added some components inside and that's one thing and I'm like... That data, how do you how do you hook all that data together <laughs> compared to how you do it in like a full React front end? Oh man, that is an excellent question. And I fought with Webpack for about an hour before I was like, I give up, guys. Uh, and <laughs> I like I cried, Uncle. And uh, Jason Axelson, who you may know from around the Elixir mm-hmm. community, um, he he he's my manager, and uh, he was like, I I can I can put together like a proof of concept and then let you take it from there. So he did all the Webpack stuff and. And, uh, you know, got it integrated so that you could show something from React. And then then from there, you know, once you've got that in place, it's pretty easy. Um, but I don't know, like, there, there are a couple, like, tutorials around the web. But um, for, for me, I, I always get hung up on weird, like, Webpack edge case stuff. You know, it, it doesn't quite match what we were doing in the rest of the project. And I don't, I don't know how to line it up because I don't know the tool well enough. Well, and that's, that's such a fractured ecosystem in general that, like, even now you would say... Of course, it keeps moving on. Everybody keeps being dissatisfied with what they have and building something (laughs) new rather than improving that thing. And so there are dozens of build tools. And like, that's one thing that I've really appreciated about Elixir from the beginning is like, we're not going to have this this sort of space where people don't know what to use for their build tool. Like even in Erlang, it, it was like, I think now people are pretty settled on rebar three, but there are still some Erlang.mk people out there, some people out there who still use make files by themselves or emake, which, you know, comes with OTP. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. But for the most part, you can build it with rebar three, even if you don't have, if you, you know, aren't using one of those tools. I, I used emake and make on my first mm-hmm. Erlang project for about a month. And then I had a friend come in and he's like, if you have this rebar thing, <laughs> and uh, I felt real dumb. I was like, man, I've been working my butt off just trying to figure all this out. And then maintainability of mm-hmm. eMake was not 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 great for me anyway. I could I couldn't every time I went and looked at it, I was like, I don't know what I did here. I got to go back and figure it all out again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For years, I was in the C world doing C Make, which is like oh. Mm. Yeah, like like you thought you didn't like make. Yeah, let me let me show you something. Worse. <laughs> like, uh. Well, do, does doesn't C make try to be auto tools plus make? It, yeah, and it you know it it claims that it's like like a declarative language, right? So it's going to be so easy to to get what you want. And, and oh my god, no! It's that it's just not. pushes all the details down. <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you get to write all the implementation of the the you know one line declarative thing that, mm-hmm. that is so nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was rough. <laughs> so, what, what else is what else is going on in people's lives? My life, I'm just traveling all over, and so and playing. I'm playing with Scenic a little bit. So Jason Axelson, that's where I nice. know him from. Is he likes yeah. Scenic and is in there a lot. So, but uh, I'm just playing around with like I played. I worked with it a long time ago, and then 
mm-hmm. lately. Tried to do it again, and I can't figure out how to get keyboard input. So we'll see. Maybe they'll figure that out for me today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll call on Jason now that you reminded me of him. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so can I can uh, I pitch some conference talks for you? Yes, let's do that. Yes. Okay. It's perfect right, for the I, hallway track. All right. That's that's what I need. So I've had this one rolling around in my head, which is like like the four quadrants of technical debt and like along one so axis like a Gardner is, quadrant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which quadrant do you find yourself in? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like along one axis is like, um, low interest. Like if carrying along this, this idea of like, like debt and, and an interest mm-hmm. rate, right? So a low interest, Technical debt is stuff where like it's in a little corner, a little leaf node in your code base, and it might suck, but nobody has to touch it for, you know, more than a couple hours a, a year. It's not it's not slowing down the rest of development. Versus like high interest is like like you made a bad architectural decision, like deep in the core of the product, and everything that everybody does um, is affected and slowed down by that. And then like the other axis is like, was it intentional? And you you made this decision to, you know because the company was going to go under if you didn't get this feature out this week or was it unintentional and like you are only realizing it now, you know, years later and going off that, like I've kind of looked back on my experience and put some of the like crappy code that I've seen and and worked with and written myself in those quadrants. And it's kind of interesting. Like I think how you go about addressing those is different, right? Like you want to pay down the high interest debt first but that's also like some of the biggest boulders usually. And I'm, and they're also they have probably a high risk to change, especially if they were um well actually I guess it doesn't matter on the intentional unintentional axis there. But like yeah, if they're high interest, they're high risk to change as well. Yeah. One of one of the like intentional but maybe short-sighted ones that I see a lot is like not writing tests. And because like <laughs> mm-hmm. like the other thing about interest rates is that they compound, right? Like right. Like if you have a bit of your system that goes untested for a year, like you've, you've then built on top of it. And like, so now you're slowing down even more development as everybody has to keep manually testing stuff and, and that sort of thing. I, and I think it's an interesting it harder to change that potentially because you, it's not testable. Yeah, Why sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got to go back to write the test before you can change it. <laughs> because you have to specify I, the behavior that was emergent based yeah. on the, yeah. And all I that, still all that take goop. the, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, you're you talking about paying off the bigger interest, and I'm a I'm a Dave Ramsey technical debt person. Pay off the lowest interest rate thing first, because it there's so much psychology that goes into getting something done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it creates a you know it's like a piece of snow rolling down a mountain, right, and building up. So that's always that's always been my approach. Unless something is, we've got to fix this now. Because there is that certain point of interest too, where like suddenly it's like, okay, if we don't fix this, our servers are going to be crashing. Nobody mm-hmm. wants phone calls at two o'clock in the morning. But if you can put it off, I like, I definitely, I try to take take those small things first and get them out of the way because it just feels good to accomplish something. Sure. the The interesting thing for me along the intentional unintentional axis is, I feel like humans are really bad at learning from the experience of others. Like if I, I mean, I don't know, like going back to C++, like if I tell you like, I, I've written years of C++, don't use templates. 
if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Like metaprogramming <clears throat> in C++ sucks. You can like kind of be like, okay, yes, I agree. But if you've never written C++, like if a situation comes up and you're like, oh, this is kind of what templates are for. Like maybe this is one of the good cases, right? Like without, without having experienced <laughs> the pain yourself, like you will you'll you'll fall into that trap again you know i see it with my kids right it's like it's like don't push your chair back on on the back legs like you're gonna fall over and crack your head and and like i might succeed in stopping that behavior this moment but like they're gonna do it tomorrow right and until they actually do fall <laughs> over like they're not gonna learn it and have a like instinctual like oh this is a bad idea because of that pain i felt in my head and so like with training up junior developers i feel like it's really nice to be able to let them make their own mistakes in an area of the code base that doesn't affect like the rest of like development. Like if you can give them a leaf node and they can kind of make a mess of it, as long as it's well tested, pure functions, like we can replace that later. Like, you know, as they Mm -hmm. uh, gain wisdom. It's kind of the same for yes. trying out new tech because like even even experienced people will like screw it up right like if you're totally new to some ecosystem like live view sure <laughs> like live view you you, you said there were some some growing pains there right yeah yeah i mean like when i started elixir like everything was gin server right like you've got a single process mm-hmm. that does every you know add two plus two that's a that's a gin server you know <laughs> <laughs> this is like when i first came to erlang and it come when i was coming over with a bunch of people who've done, you know, object-oriented languages, and they're like, oh, uh, processes are just like objects, so we'll just make right. every every entity into a process. And uh, and it's actually, like, perpendicular to that, in a sense. My One of my first projects, I thought, I have a gin server I can cache everything in. And I yeah. kind of tried. <laughs> I, I implemented a, a half-assed version of CQRS and was like, oh, I got this big cache here now that yeah. I don't have to load anything. And then managing how that thing got updated. like, and in, And then by the time I realized how difficult it was to deal with, it was... Um, we should probably rewrite this whole thing <laughs> and not do this at all. Did, did you use ETS instead? <laughs> uh, no, no. I just said, why are we not just pulling this out of the database? Because oh, yeah. it was fast enough. It was just the thought of, I don't have to go to the database. This is going to be amazing. And it really <laughs> was extremely fast. But when you have to update something that's like in a map, in a list, in a map, <laughs> down a few levels, you mean it, that be, that load bearing gen server, single gen yeah. server, source of truth. Yeah, it, it was bad. It was bad. It was per user connection, so it wasn't oh, okay. everybody using the same one. But still, there. But then somebody else would update something, so mm-hmm. I would. I had all these messages flying around and then those became bottlenecks and you know I solved those problems with more gin servers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny some of the things that uh like from the outside you would expect to be true um when you're coming into it and then and then you find you know one one that bit me early in my airline career was uh was that when you send a message if the receiver has a full message box your Ooh. process will get put to sleep um as long as it's on the same machine but it can also happen if you're using distributed erlang and the outgoing message buffer is full um so so there were cases where you had um and this this happened to us in, in react and some other projects i worked on but like you have 
a very busy process that is handling requests and also making sending messages to other processes, not just replies, but also to do this thing for me. It would, uh, you know, you get put to sleep and then you can't handle any incoming messages, even if you're not waiting on the thing that you sent. Um, so, so it's like you, you f if you feel like you go in, oh, it's going to be all this free concurrency and it's easy. And I just send messages all over the place, except yeah, there are still hard limits to the system, um, that you bump into. Interesting. So I didn't know that, but that actually kind of contextualizes issues I've seen in the past where, um, we had like a gin server that, uh, you know, didn't actually need to be a gin server for for mm -hmm. some of the operations that it was doing, but it would uh, when in, when the system got overloaded, um, database queries would start timing out, um, mm -hmm. and it was like, well, the database isn't you know the database isn't doing anything. Like we're we're looking at the the database logs and Just the database holding is the idle. connection too long. Yeah. yeah, 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 holding <laughs> the connection too long. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think the way that uh, we solved that was that we made a proxy process. So the proxy process would just sit there and consume all the messages off of its off of its uh inbox um and they it was only receiving from that really busy process um and and it would try to send um those messages um and then like because it received it the busy process could keep going i think we might have even had a pool of these proxy processes for for that interesting it feels like a little's law. There's kind a, bit of a that, problem. Yeah. Then. Like now, you, now you're backing up cues, and so those. I'm, I'm curious. I, I want to dig into this more. So the proxy processes. So did did the other did the consumers end up asking the proxy process? Then hey, give me some of that data that you're holding. Or I don't think so. Because how would they know that it's coming? How would Who's it's they? just I'm like sorry. a cache. So like if the if they end like the the destination processes, um, they don't necessarily know that those messages are coming, or they might be across the network over distributed airline. Oh, okay, okay. So they weren't yeah they weren't next to each other, so that destination could not say, hey, do you have anything for me? Right, right. Which in the end, you know, of course, would be another message. <laughs> right, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that has bitten me before. <laughs> let's just let's just ask it for something. Well, it's already loaded down. <laughs> what are you gonna right. do? Very interesting. Yeah. So what you you had you had you said you had multiple talk ideas. So we've got oh yeah, let's hear some more. We we've got the quadrant talk, and I think yeah. that's an interesting. I would I would go to that. Well, so I, I, the other thing I, I keep thinking about giving a talk on, but I kind of think nobody wants to hear it is about improving your CI like processes. Um, you know, the, I, I keep ending up being the, the CI person on, on the dev teams I join. And I, I don't want to be, but it's one of those things like, well, nobody else is doing it and this is kind of bugging me. Um, and so I do it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, every place I've worked, we've seen kind of this similar mistakes. And, and one of those is like, um, like there's one job in GitHub Actions for uh, mm -hmm. all of your Elixir stuff, right? And so it's like build and test and uh, credo and dialyzer. And if any of those fails, like the whole thing stops, right? And um, doing those in parallel costs so such a minuscule fraction um, 
of, of, you know, compared to like a developer salary, but you can, you know, you can run through the whole pipeline in like two minutes, uh, for, you know, for our code base, like the, the long pole is, um, gosh, I think, I think our tests are like two fifteen, And so it all, it all happens in parallel. So like, it just, it cuts down the whole like time to deploy as well. I don't know. Um, the faster you can get out like a, a hot fix, the, the better. And we've, I've seen places where it's like, you know, it could be days, right? When the, when, before the build is manual or when, when the build is manual and then you get it down to like six hours, <laughs> it's like, okay, that's better. Um, but yeah, I, I desperately want to get where we can deploy a fix in call it under 10 minutes right now at work. We're like 25. We're, we're, we're working toward that. But nobody so wants I want to go. No, no, I do. As soon as you were, as soon as you said CI build, I was like, I want to go to this because I know I've had problems with it. But I, th- I think, I think we come up with a title, a grab you title, and that's what that's what you need to get yeah. to get the people who are like mm-hmm. aren't necessarily on board but need to be there. So we got to talk to their pain. So what's the pain? Hmm. Yeah, it needs to be like snappy and or clever. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's something about like deploys on Fridays because there's the whole meme of like don't mm-hmm. deploy on Friday and 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 I, I I see that and it's like no if you if you are scared to deploy on Friday it means that you need to do it more so that you can get better at it right yes it's because you, you should be scared to deploy any day if you're scared to deploy on Friday yeah it, right yeah yeah I mean, Tyler if you want to hold hands and skip through the flowers I'm right there <laughs> with you like, I uh, all, I, I I, I would say probably a few times a year, uh, there's something that I put out on Twitter and I, and I just say, why are you afraid to deploy at five o'clock on Friday? Yeah. And I'm not telling you to deploy at five o'clock mm-hmm. on Friday, but I'm saying what the reasons that you're afraid, those are all problems on your yeah. team and your product. your organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah, nice I'll- to be able, like if the CI passes, <clears throat> if all my tests pass, like I am confident that at least at least I haven't blown up the world, right? Like maybe the feature mm-hmm. I'm deploying uh, ends up like, you know, there's some edge case or whatever, but but at least like the rest of the system is going to be fine. Uh, there's such freedom in that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. I, I think in in some senses, it's probably a, a courtesy to people who are in, in ops um, that who's going to get called first, generally speaking, if, if something is broken, it's going to be the, the people who are already cleaning up all the messes. Um, <laughs> and so they're like, I want to have a weekend. I totally get that. But, but also the, uh, like you say, the, the philosophy is there is, is that, uh, if you can't deploy on Fridays, you've got organizational problems. I mean, if ops is getting calls after you deploy, doesn't yeah. matter if it's Monday morning, <laughs> th- there are problems that yes. you need to solve, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, and is the ultimate like deploy at five o'clock on Friday and immediately do ever clear shots because you know that you're not going to have to do anything <laughs> like that's. <laughs> but, but it can be really freeing though. Like I remember one of the best um, experiences I had, Chris, we weren't, we weren't like deploying an entire app, but like a service within an ecosystem of the product. We did six, eight deploys a day to production. Like, and part of that was, like you said, you, the CI was fast and we had high confidence in it. And our deploys were also automated. So we barely had to do anything. Is it, it was like a combination of 
wait for your build to finish so that there's a Docker image of the app and then deploy it to development environment, check all of the metrics, poke at it a little bit, deploy it to production. So you, you could, you could get a, from, I think I want to deploy to in production in maybe 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where we are at work, except it's a step further in that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we use render as our like platform as a service. They just, they watch the main branch, they pick it up, they deploy it. And we get like a Slack notification that says like, Hey, your thing's live. Like go, go check on it. Make sure, make sure you didn't mm -hmm. break the world. Um, and that's it. And it's, it's have you, have so you liked nice. render? I I've looked at it, but I haven't touched it. Like somebody else told me about it and, and I haven't yeah. been able to use it yet. I, I was a huge fan of Heroku back in the day for like mm -hmm. getting something up without having to think too hard about like all the intricacies. Um, and it's, it's really good at that. It's like, it's the new Heroku, I think. There's been a lot of people trying to fill in that space and I, sure. that's good yeah. to hear because I, I don't feel like anybody has really hit that mark yet that Heroku yeah. used to have. Gigalixer is similar. You, you push to a Git repo. But but render watches your already Git repo. You don't have they don't have one that you push to on their end. Right. It integrates with like GitHub and and watches uh, for commits to main. Yeah. I like I like that even more than having to push to a different master. Yeah. Or somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. I'm sold on trying it anyway. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been really happy with it. All right. So I think that okay. So yeah, I think I like the. Are you scared to deploy on Friday? Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Um, and, and, but some people that that's not pain for them too. So, uh, yeah. like tired of holding your breath every time you deploy. <laughs> sure. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Or maybe something about like, I don't know for, for me, like the, the pain, I didn't even know I felt it was like, something gets deployed and I know inevitably it's going to come back with problems. And I don't, I don't, I, I think I just accepted that that was the way like software development was. Hmm. I don't, I don't know that I even would have identified it as a problem. I, well, I think that's it. There's so many things like that in software that even if you've worked at multiple companies, people see those same problems over and over and they just, they start to believe that that's the way the world is. Sure. Yeah. And, and when you are junior, and you come in, you don't even know to ask a question about that. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, the build takes an hour and a half. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. You don't, you don't know that it could be better. Yeah. Hmm. I also like that tired of getting calls after a deploy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if you're getting calls after a deploy, here, uh, let me save your day. Yeah. Those are all maybe, maybe you know you mentioned like Everclear shots. Maybe maybe the, the, the <laughs> go for drinks. Nobody, the deploy is fine. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. Nobody wants to do Everclear shots, though. I'm pretty sure. No, no, uh, no. no. <laughs> That's uh, that will end I, badly. I, I don't think you would ever have taste buds again. I'm just not sure. Five p.m. on Fridays is for drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, that's, maybe, that's maybe not the message we want to send <laughs> after deploy. Uh, uh, yeah, I I not that long ago actually bought Everclear. No, not to drink it, but it was really funny because I went into a local liquor store and I look all over and I can't find it. And I was like, do you guys have Everclear? And she brings out like a fifth 
and, and it was a Friday night. And she's like, you're getting ready to have a good time, aren't you? I was like, I don't need anything that big. And she's like, I don't expect you to drink it. I was like, no, no, no. Like, literally, I don't need anything that big. I'm, I'm using it for cooking. And then... Like, of course, she's like 22 working behind the counter at like her store. And she's she's like, you're using this for cooking. You don't have to lie to me is what she said to me. I was like, I'm not. So uh, were, we were you able to get like a flask size. I was able to get a okay. flask size. Thank God. So we we use it um, like if you make a cake, mm-hmm. there's a type of icing called lace and it feels like real lace. And oh. my my wife was making a cake and. Um, you have like a mold mm-hmm. uh, that it has lacy looking stuff on it and you mix sugar and Everclear together and you paint the mold oh, and it cool. seeps down into the cracks and in the, the mold. Everclear and Everclear evaporates and yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you peel the thing out. So you do that a bunch of times, like five mm-hmm. times and let it dry. But the Everclear evaporates very quickly and leaves like no flavor because it's just nearly pure alcohol mm-hmm. and then you pull this thing off and you have this like piece of it feels like cloth but it's made out of sugar and then you wrap wow. it around the cake so yeah That's and i cool. explained it to this lady and she's like that sounds magical i was like science is magical <laughs> science is amazing <laughs> but yeah way more work yeah, than so, i've ever put into a cake i'm impressed <laughs> <laughs> she she does some amazing cakes yeah wow. when a when a 40-something-year-old man comes in and asks for Everclear (laughs) (laughs) in the liquor store. Like, you just get looked at funny, too. They're like, you're you're not the normal audience for this. (laughs) Let me go get my frat shirt. I'll be right back. (laughs) All right, that's a good one. You have more? Do you have more? Oh, I two talks. I keep thinking, like, I should talk about our experience doing live view and and then deciding to pull and react in places and stuff. So so the only thing I ever hear from like the Elixir conference track is like live view is amazing and you should use it for all the things. And I I, I agree that it's amazing. I'm really happy with it, but maybe it's not the best fit for everything. And I don't know how to give that talk in a way that is constructive and not. I, I don't want to disparage live view. I don't want to, I certainly don't want to disparage the people involved. Like it's, it's an amazing accomplishment, but I want to give a talk. that's like where live view might not be the best fit and like how you identify whether you're in one of those cases or whether you're in, you're in the, like the broad majority of cases where it's like going to be ideal. Have you ever tried to make a table with a lot of data? Yeah, sure. It takes forever to render. It's all in the JavaScript side. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on live view. So that was, that was my, I'm, I've broken something and it took me forever to figure out what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. I I think maybe you could also highlight uh, systems where it's not reasonable to have a, an active connection for the entirety of the user session. Um, which I think it is the, is the big weakness. Uh, and it like, there are ways to to get around that, but a lot of folks have, you know, had that sort of when they, the sec- web socket gets dropped and they reconnect, like their whole thing refreshes or you know or redraws because there's no state on the server anymore right. um, for that user. So um, you know, cases where you have uh, limited connectivity, I'm thinking like mobile devices, not good. Just send them HTML 
you know, and maybe a little JavaScript, oh, yeah. right? Or like maybe do live view and then like cut it off if they they stop having. But you got to that's the other thing is you got to make sure that it handles being cut off gracefully on the yeah. client side. Mm-hmm. So but like any any case where you're going to have limited connectivity or or possibly slow connections is another thing. You know, although all that HTTP infrastructure does that well, things like CDNs and load balancers, reverse proxies, those handle those sorts of problems really well. But WebSockets are like slow connection. I'm just going to sit there and wait <laughs> for mm-hmm. the other end to slurp the bytes off. The nice thing is that LiveView has some tools in the JavaScript front end to mimic a lot of those problems. Oh, really? Okay. So, uh, so you can and, simulate it? Yeah. And one thing that I did on a project was created a little script that whenever you were in dev mode, it would run this on the JavaScript front end, and it would change latency, move it around, so that so that whenever you are developing locally and you go to check something out, you have to live with like the pain of sometimes it works really fast and other times it's super slow. And, and what does that look like? What is that user experience? Because that's really important. But one of my favorites was because I've ran into problems with connecting and disconnecting, especially with forms, people forget that you have to have a change on that form. Otherwise, if you get disconnected and reconnect, you lose everything you typed in a form, which is really, really frustrating. Yeah. But made a little script that disconnects and reconnects the socket every once in a while, like while you're moving around. You're in like and, front side and, chaos, chaos money, uh, right? <laughs> but but your team will fix that real fast then. They're like, oh, the second time it happens, they're, I just want to see if the feature that, it, that I did works. The test passed, but I want to see if it works. And then that's a good one. That's awesome, yeah. You know, the other thing that kind of bit us is, so we've got, we've got coworkers in Spain, and they were saying like, I load the page and I click on some stuff, um, which unbeknownst to them was doing live navigation. Um, I click on it and like sometimes it just doesn't work. And then if I wait a second and click again, then it'll work. And the reason was that uh, the live view socket hadn't established yet. And so you couldn't do live navigation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, we, we've solved this particular issue on with channels in the React world by we have a little wrapper around our, our channel that will just queue up the requests until the socket's ready. Like there's, if there's no socket that can that can handle it, we'll queue it up, and you know, a few seconds later, once you connect, uh, it, it goes over the wire. Um, but I don't think you have that control from the live view side. I don't know. I'm not sure. I do know that there's, you know, you can you can make a link like gray out or something whenever you're loading. There's the PHX loading. And so I've done that to solve the problem is like when I'm not connected or is it disconnected? I don't remember. There's some some PHX thing that you can put on there. And I've done that to where they're disabled until the socket connects and visually they look a little different. Have you ever done a, a hybrid thing where like if they if they click it before the socket has connected, it'll be a regular navigation and just reload the page? That would be really interesting. I, I didn't go so far as to build something like that. That'd be cool. I Except wonder if that would be worse, though, because now you reload the page in the new state, but now you have to do that connection all over again. Yeah, and possibly. if they're clicking around enough, you may never get to that. Hmm. I, I mean, I guess you could think of it as, uh, you know, what's what's the what's the goal there? Do you, do you want super snappy page loads after they've waited the first time? 
uh, or do you want them to have the immediate ability to use your app even if there's additional latency on particular actions right they take that's probably very dependent on the type of user that you have yeah the type of app yeah yeah i like the queue up thing though Mm -hmm. can you just write a library that queues everything up if we're not connected (laughs) that would be cool Yeah, it's one of those are, like are we getting I, a Little's Law situation again. Yeah, we are, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are, we are. Jeez, but hopefully, everywhere. hopefully, those aren't like. I guess somebody could go in and click like a thousand times real fast. But right, I hope, if your if your site takes that long to load up, that's that might be a problem. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I understand why that's not built into like the Phoenix JS because it's absolutely not appropriate for every situation. Um, but yeah, for us, it, it works well. I'd I'd go to that talk too. <laughs> yeah okay cool. these are all good talks just, Tyler. She, these you are, should just pitch them work them up write an abstract get snappy titles and pitch them all right sounds good i appreciate that where, where, <laughs> yeah all right do you have any uh conferences you're going to well i'm definitely Come going on. to ElixirConf. like my whole like autumn uh schedule is is centered around ElixirConf. it's like this is the one thing we cannot move <laughs> uh like my family knows that <laughs> i really want to go to uh, Strange Loop. It's like going to be the last year. I've never been. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a four-hour drive here from Kansas City. Take the train. Yeah. Seriously, it's awesome. You just like sit and work or whatever. You get up and walk around. You have a beer. It's, it's depl- only like ninety you, minutes longer, right? You know, it's like uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. You de- you deploy from the, on train. the train, <laughs> right? That's awesome. It's amazing. I love I love the train. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to go across the country on a train because you'd be like six days longer. But sure. going to St. Louis from Kansas City is it's like four hours, four and a half hours, something like that. Nice, yeah, that'd be cool. I, I and think you don't have to stare at seventy, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or or fear for your life, uh, which is usually <laughs> my experience. <laughs> yeah, I've seen so many near accidents on I seventy. Yeah. I, yeah, I kind of hate it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think those are the two main ones I'm I'm probably going to. I really wanted to go to New York to Impex, but uh, my mm-hmm. wife does education consulting, and she has a speaking engagement like the same week. And it was like, that's not mm-hmm. we're not doing that next year. Next the, year. That's that next is year another next. thing too about Strange Loop. Uh, I, it's not really the event itself isn't, but they have made an effort to make it friendly for folks who want to bring their kids, especially mm-hmm. with the the. Um, the opening party that's been at the St. Louis city museum, um, oh. which, you know, of course is like kids wonderland sort of type it's place. Big playground. It's big Absolutely. playground, um, art installation slash jungle gym, basically. <laughs> yeah. Bring your tetanus shots. though. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of steel. <laughs> yeah. Strange loop has done an excellent job. Uh, I'll, I'll miss them. If, if Alex ever hears this or anybody that knows Alex, I know Alex, I should thank him, but somebody else should thank him outside of here. Uh, cause, cause they, they, they definitely have put together a pretty fantastic conference and, and it will be missed. Oh yeah. I watch I watch all the talks on YouTube afterward. Um, yeah, they're always great. <clears throat> they have my favorite little Zlal talk. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got to change. Uh, it's like, was that John Morris talk? It's I I don't remember who it was, but it was it was like if you're rate limiting, you're doing it wrong. Yes, that's John Moore, my former yeah. boss. 
Oh, that's yeah, the one who boss? got me hooked on Little's Law. <laughs> well, he did me too. Like, I had already knew about it, but I didn't know, like, how strong it was. Like, I had heard of it, and I had read about it, and I was like, oh, that's interesting, and then, like, put it in the back of my mind, and then his talk came up, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is everything. Yeah. And it changed changed the way I wrote software. Oh, yeah. Three little, three little variables changed the way I write software. Um... How about you, Sean? Are you going to? You have any plans for conferences? Uh, not yet. Uh, I'd really love to do Strange Loop. Um, you know, I'm. I feel like I'm a little bit still COVID cautious, more than most people. Um, so you know, I limit my time outside the house. Um, but uh, but you know, Strange Loop is still five months away. So um, possible. We'll see. I would, I, the, the main thing is I've been to so many of them, not all of them, but like all but two and, and I feel, or, or three. Um, and I feel like, man, it, it would, it would really be sad not to hit up the, the final one. Yeah. I think I've missed two also. I missed the first one and I think the third one, mm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this year I'm going to, so I'm speaking at gig city. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about yet. I have I have a couple of ideas. One of them is I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch it this way on the show, but this is not how I would pitch it for real. But DBG and IO Inspect are never how you should debug anything. Ooh, it's painful. It's slow. It wastes your time, and there are much better tools. Unless you're internal to a function and you already know exactly which function. Because if you're sprinkling those all over your code, you're you're messing up and you're wasting your time. So I guess I my, hear that. What is, what is my tagline? Wasting your time <laughs> on debugging. <laughs> Here there's a better way. Oh, and on the way that I suggest, you can do it on a running production system and it's production safe. Uh I, I know I know the Sean now knows talk. the answer. <laughs> Shh. I won't spoil it. <laughs> I just think this would be fun is implement Y Combinator in Elixir's mm -hmm. anonymous functions. Yeah. Just because Y Combinator is one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen in computer science. Uh, and every time I've ever tried to like implement it again, because I've done it in a few languages. It, like I love it more than I did the last time. It's always like that last moment when it finally works completely. It's like, wow, I can't believe this even does this. Like, and how did the first person come up with that? Cause that had taken me 85 years of it research. It's pretty mind-bending, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that would be a fun talk to give that either people will appreciate it or they'll be like, why, why did you waste my time? <laughs> I am definitely, cause I'm never, I've... never going to use it. Yeah, yeah. I know people who, like, they think of a lot of programming problems in terms of, like, combinators, and they've got uh, all these bird names, Blackbird, and I don't know. So there there are all these named combinators that they can, like, break a problem down into, and I just, like, it's it's Greek to me. Um, I would love to you, step into that. Do you know what the Y combinator is? Ah, see, I knew you were going to put me on the spot. Um, it takes... It's okay. To argue, I, no, I don't. <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's how you do recursion. 
in a functional language because you have to have a function that can call itself. But how can you call, how can, how can that function be compiled to call itself when the name comes up in the compilation and it's like, Hey, I can't, I can't resolve this because it's not completed yet. Right, right, right. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I accidentally did that in JavaScript the other day and I was like, is this going to work? And then it worked and I was like, okay, I'll back away slowly. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild how that stuff works. That's cool. Oh man. Where are we? Oh man, we've been on here for a while. Yeah, and I probably need to go. Um, I probably do too. I'm late to a meeting, but yeah, whatever. as well. Shh, oh no, don't tell anybody. <laughs> well, it was great, great talking with you, Tyler, and yeah. uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you in person soon. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Thanks, this was Tyler. awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. So you're at Felt. Or you have you guys hiring anything you got going on at Felt that you want to say talk about? I believe we are still hiring. Um, I don't. I don't think I have any big pitches for the audience. My big pitch is take care of yourself, exercise. I don't know. Do drink lots of water. Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay <laughs> All right. Well, I think with that, um, I'm going to get out of here and go to my meeting. I'll see you all later. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. 